Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. Hello and thank you for joining us tonight on the Capitol Report on NTD Television. I'm your host, Melina Weiskopf, in for Steve Lance tonight. On Friday, top White House economic advisor Cecilia Rouse said that the country's economic-related pandemic woes are not as bad as they could have been. In a virtual meeting today, she was joined by Gene Sperling, who is the coordinator of the White House's American Rescue Plan. Sperling and Rouse agree that Biden's policies helped prevent scarring or permanent damage to the people's personal finances and the overall economy. Sperling cited the newly created rental assistance program. It's designed to prevent foreclosures. He said similar programs assisted the poor, allowing for a more equitable recovery. President Biden is uh, really focused on generating and promoting an economy that has sustainable growth that is widely shared. While Republicans supported some of the pandemic stimulus payments, they repeatedly warned that the government needs to rein in the trillions of dollars in spending. The GOP continues to say that massive spending bills only have contributed to the rising inflation. In addition to those soaring gas prices, we're also seeing skyrocketing natural gas prices. This is causing Americans, especially in warm southern states, to pay more for electricity. To break down the reason behind these price hikes and what we can expect to see in the coming months, we're happy to bring on the president of Whaley Energy Consulting, Don Whaley. Don Whaley, thank you so much for joining us again on the Capitol Report. It's great to be here. Thanks. So, Don, we're seeing gas prices go up every day. Lately, um, we're seeing $5 as the national average. Some anticipate it could get up to $6 a gallon. What do you think about this? Do you think we've reached the peak? How high do you anticipate these prices to go? Uh, you know, that's that's a question for which I'd need a, a much clearer crystal ball. I don't know that we've necessarily seen the top, unfortunately. Uh, we, we spoke about, uh, in, in, in past conversations, we've talked about the Biden administration release of the strategic oil reserve, which is a drop in the bucket. And it, it's had no impact as, as I kind of expected at the time, but it's not, there's no immediate fix because a lot of production that could have come on has been repressed or suppressed and uh, pipelines that could have brought in additional supplies have been canceled. And so we are where we are. It's a supply demand crunch and we're just gonna have to live through it. And in addition to those gas prices, we also, I mean, specifically in your state, uh, you say you're seeing an increase in consumer electricity prices. Now you're in the electricity business. I wanna get your response to the recent report that we could see blackouts this summer due to extreme weather and drought, especially in states like Texas. Is this something you're concerned about, Don? I, I, I don't know that blackouts are necessarily in the cards uh, in Texas. I think high prices certainly are. Um, after the winter storm of 2021 in Texas, blackouts are always in the, in the headlines and they're always in conversation. But I think that the larger issue is going to be, again, pricing. Uh, electricity in Texas ties to natural gas. Natural gas prices are at, at not historic levels, but they're the highest we've seen in decades and or in a decade or two. And uh, they haven't shown any real signs of relenting. And when natural gas prices go up, electricity prices go up in Texas. We've seen natural gas go up 165% in the last 12 months. And electricity in Texas has doubled since the start of the year. And so 
people are scrambling for suppliers uh, and prices they can afford to pay. But So what is the real issue here? I know you mentioned there's it has to do with natural gas there. What's driving these higher prices that we're seeing in the electricity? Well, prior to the, the fracking boom and uh, the, the boom in natural gas production in the U.S., natural gas was largely a, a domestic product. We imported liquefied natural gas to supplement our domestic supply. Since the, the uptick in production, we've turned those plants around. We're now exporting LNG to the world. And so it's become much more of a globalized commodity. And with with the issues in Ukraine, with uh, the Russian gas supply being cut off or diminished into Europe, the demand for LNG in those countries and in Asia has gone up dramatically. And uh, again, the, the, the current administration's assault on oil and gas has pushed production of natural gas down. Now, the industry is starting to respond. We're starting to see uh, productivity come back up. We're at about 95 billion cubic feet of gas a day. But unfortunately, we're lagging behind where we need to be for storage for the winter, which will have a profound impact on the Northeast if we don't catch up. Because as you know, natural gas is a primary source of heating fuel for the Northeast during the wintertime. So that leads me to my next question. You're saying that the Northeast could even be impacted. Uh, you're based in Texas, so this is what you're speaking to right now, the consumer electricity prices there in Texas. So from what, it's, it, from what I'm hearing from you, it sounds like that you do expect to see a price increase in the northeastern area if you, uh, if you all aren't able to get back to the production levels that you were at before. Is that correct? No, that's, that's absolutely correct. As I said, I mentioned storage. If we store natural gas in ground uh, through the course of the summer into the early fall, and that gives us additional deliverability for the wintertime when demand spikes for heating in the northeast. And right now, we're behind where we were last year, but more importantly, we're about 350 billion cubic feet behind uh, where the five-year average. And we need to catch up because if we're lagging behind, then prices are going to stay up and prices at the home for heating in the Northeast this winter are going to be profound. So I think that, 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 that you know, this is a supply-demand crunch. And if the load side starts to drop off, if people use less electricity, if they use less gasoline, then that supply demand push, which has been driving it up, will start to reverse itself. But it's going to take some, I think, consumer discipline and behavioral changes because we're we're ways. These are not things that you can turn in a dime from the supply side. You can affect the load side pretty quickly if you get the message out that the best way to drive prices down is just use less. Thank you so much, John, for joining Don, for joining us today. Great to have you. My pleasure. Thanks so much. Weeks after that Supreme Court draft opinion leaked, the debate on abortion is getting heated. Vice President Kamala Harris on Thursday condemned Oklahoma's new abortion bill. Oklahoma lawmakers just approved the nation's most comprehensive abortion ban. It bans abortions from the moment of fertilization. Republican Governor Kevin Stitt is expected to sign it. The bill makes exceptions for medical emergencies or if the pregnancy was a result of rape or incest. It's outrageous and it's just the latest in a series of extreme laws around the country. Harris was speaking with abortion providers saying they are, quote, on the front lines of this war on women's rights. 
The virtual meeting came weeks after the leak of the Supreme Court draft opinion. That draft ruling indicates that the nation's highest court is expected to overturn Roe v. Wade. Justices will issue their final ruling in the next six weeks. But some Republican states are already laying the groundwork to ban abortion. Now few options are left for the Biden administration. And on top of this, a pro-abortion bill failed last week in the Senate. And to respond to this White House criticism today, we spoke with two Oklahoma lawmakers who paved the path for this abortion bill and others like it to pass the Oklahoma legislature. We're happy to bring on State Senator Nathan Dom and Representative Jim Olson. So what's your response to the White House's recent criticism and other critics who say that this abortion bill is extreme? What do you say to them? I, I disagree. I think that uh, they take the extreme position of wanting to intentionally terminate innocent life, uh, the lives of the unborn. In, in, in the United States, in our governmental system, we have a responsibility to protect life, whether you look at our founding document and the declaration that says we're endowed by our creator with certain rights, among which are life, um, and that is a government responsibility to protect that, or if you look at the 14th Amendment or our Oklahoma Constitution, government has a responsibility to protect life. Uh, so I say they're the extremists that want to um, sacrifice those lives of the unborn. Well, when you consider that abortion is an extreme situation, it stops a beating heart, it takes away the life of a person. And so this is simply a, a crime that must be stopped. Representative Olson, this issue has been very politicized from all levels of government. I wanna ask you, is this issue about politics or is it about moral principles? It's about moral principles and it's about protecting the lives of the innocent, very much so. Why is that? Why do you say it's about moral principles? What's the moral, uh, what's the moral factor here? Well, uh, we're all familiar with it. Thou shalt not kill. And uh, so we shouldn't be doing that. Okay, is there anything else that you wanna tell our audience about what you all are doing in Oklahoma? Uh, just very simply, we're doing our best to protect innocent lives, and uh, we are rejoicing at the very hopeful prospect of Roe versus Wade being overturned. All right, Representative Olson, thank you for your time today. Thank you, ma'am. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Now, I want to ask you, Senator, about this back-to-back -back action we're seeing in Oklahoma. We know your governor just signed an abortion bill last month, um, and this one goes even further. So why are you all deciding to go further with this bill right now? You know, several people asked me that because that was my bill that the governor signed uh, last month, Senate Bill 612, and that bill actually criminalizes abortion. So that is a felony conviction on the abortionist up to 10 years in jail, up to $100,000 fine. Um, from conception, and so that is the strongest pro-life bill in the country until we also pass this bill, House Bill 4327, which deals with the civil aspect of it. So similar to what Texas had done last year that has not been overthrown or uh, turned out or uh, uh, thrown out by the courts or overturned. And so uh, what we had previously done was on the criminal side of it with the felony conviction, this is the civil aspect. So I have said many times that we will use every opportunity we can to protect those lives of the unborn. And so this is just uh, an, another method that we can do to try to stop those abortions from taking place. Now, I want to talk a little bit about some of the comments that you made back in April when your governor signed that other abortion bill. Um, you made some very interesting comments. Let's listen to those.
And what we are saying here today is the intentional taking of an innocent life has consequences. Can you elaborate on that, please? Absolutely. Um, as I said, government has a responsibility to protect life. Uh, that is one of our core functions. Our main function is to protect our rights, and the main right is the right to life. So we have a responsibility, and abortion is the purposeful, intentional taking of an innocent life. And so there needs to be consequences for that, uh, whether that's through Senate Bill 612 with a criminal felony conviction on the abortionist so they lose their license and serve jail time, or whether it's with House Bill 4327 with the, the civil penalties to where they have to incur those costs and um, where they are going to have to consider uh, the consequences for their actions because this is a, a horrific crime being committed against these unborn children, these innocent children that have done nothing wrong, so their lives should be protected, and that's what my focus has been and will continue to be. I see. Now, some who are criticizing this bill say that it would force, abor uh, force women who were, say, the victims of rape or incest to move forward with that pregnancy, but it looks like from the details in this bill that there are a few exceptions, including if you're a victim of rape or incest, including saving the life of a mother. Now, I want to ask you, Senator, why do you think those critics are so quick to criticize this bill, even using facts that just aren't true? Well, because um, they are arguing in bad faith. Uh, you can watch and find numerous different videos where, you know, somebody will ask, I mean, I think just recently, even it might have been um, in the federal Congress, uh, where somebody was saying something about, well, this doesn't include an exemption for rape and incest. And they said, well, if we included that, then would you vote for the bill? And the response was an immediate no. So they're arguing in bad faith when they try to make that because those are emotional arguments and understandably so. I mean. Uh, rape is a horrific crime being committed upon someone. Uh, same with incest, you know, when that takes place, those are crimes that happen. And uh, those crimes should be punished for what they are, but the innocent child um, shouldn't lose their life. So in Senate Bill 612, the only exception was for the life of the mother. It didn't even include a rape or incest exception. Uh, but in this bill, House Bill 4327, we did include those. Um, one of the main reasons is because this is the civil side of it. So we wanted to make sure that the rapist couldn't potentially um, sue uh, civilly um, or uh, the, the, the relatives of that or the person that committed incest or those types of things. So that's why we did include those exceptions here um, for this on the civil aspect of it. But even with that, I mean, those are a small percentage. You're talking a half percent, one percent uh, of abortions uh, that take place. But this is from conception. So this is going to stop 98 percent of abortions happening here in the state of Oklahoma while we work towards uh, eventually eliminating all abortion in the state. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon.